Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. All these girls gonna be in the league? Hello, gorgeous. Female fight club. All men must die, but we are not men. What do you think happened to Karen? Lauren. Her name is Kimberly. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 49 of Citizen Dame, the podcast that apparently is now all about junk. And not just garbage people, but dick. That's the kind of the through fare of this this week. Um, I am Kristen Lopez here with my I, I don't know how legally binding last episode was. I think Karen might be my wife. Karen Peterson. <laughs> Hello. Lauren Humphreys Brooks. Hello. And Kimberly Pierce. Hello. So we have some garbage people news trailers. Again, we got a lot of weird stuff that's happened this week. It's not just TIFF happening uh, in Toronto right now. Like, there is just so much debate about a lot of things, and it's wonderful and weird. This is a really random week. Oh, yeah. I'm all for it. Uh, (laughs) So let's get the trash out of the way. Um, We're going to get the thing that makes me mad first, and then we're going to go with the thing that just makes me sad. Uh, So Shane Black has a movie coming out next week. He's got the new Predator film, and it came out in the LA Times that um, a scene from the movie had to be pulled, a couple pages of the script um, had to be pulled because it turns out that Shane Black had hired a friend of his to be in the scene who is a registered sex offender. As one does. As Exactly, as you do, as you do. Um, so supposedly the scene um, was going to feature uh, a man by the name of Stephen Wilder Stragle, who didn't have a big role. He's been a friend of Shane Black's for a long, long time, but it was a three-page scene with actress Olivia Munn where essentially he just hits on her regularly. I guess that's the, the, the joke. Um, and Olivia Munn found out about his past and complained to the producers, and they had to fire him. Um, in case you're curious... He uh, pleaded guilty in 2010 after allegations that he attempted to lure a 14-year-old girl into a sexual relationship via the internet. Um, And Fox said, we didn't know this dude. We weren't aware of his background. Um, And so they they told Shane Black that he had to uh, pull the scene. Shane Black came out and said, I was just helping out a friend. I, I, you know, just trying to help this guy. And... Uh, quote, I can understand others might disapprove as his conviction was on a sensitive charge and not to be taken lightly, but he believed, quote, that his friend was caught up in a bad situation versus something lecherous. So! <laughs> oh, and this girl is a girl that's related to him also. Oh, it's just getting worse. So okay. she, she's like a distant, he describes her as a distant relative. So it's just like, Wow. Oh, you're kidding. He doesn't, I didn't even he doesn't read see that. it as something oh. He just sees it as a bad situation and not something lecherous. I want to know what lecherous is in Shane Black's vernacular. Yeah, the thing is, I think that this is a situation where, and I, I mean, I don't really have necessarily a great opinion of Shane Black in general, but I think that this is a situation where he was just trying to believe his friend and just kind of let himself ignore the facts and I I don't think that he really truly was trying to just just, like cover up something bad but 
I mean, I, we see this happen a lot where people are like, oh no, my friend wouldn't do that. He told me this. I totally believe him. And so, like, because he said too in his statement, I believe strongly in giving people second chances, but sometimes you discover that chance is not as warranted as you may have hoped. Well, right. The problem that I have with this is that this is an old case. Like, he pled guilty. Mm-hmm. He's a registered sex offender. You know, so all of these things, like, this is not a. I didn't know about this. It's a, I didn't want to know about this. Well, I think it's more, I didn't believe the facts as they were presented. I believed my friend's version of the story that he was kind of railroaded. Well, he didn't believe it to the point of wasn't, didn't this guy also have a role in the nice guys? Yeah. Did he? With a very young actress. Why didn't this come up then? Uh, Because I don't know. It sounds from what the sounds of it, Olivia Munn just stumbled on it and then told somebody. So I'm wondering if the either the, the predominantly male cast of the nice guys either knew and didn't care or just nobody knew and nobody brought it up. Oh, I'm Kate sure Black that's probably... Yeah, I'm sure yeah. that's probably it. Like, they're not going to go looking for that information. Right. Or... And, and my, my problem here is, and this is somebody that, that likes Shane Black's films, and my mom is very excited Same. to see The Predator because she loves Shane Black. Um, my, my issue is, is that He's, and I'm the cynic of the group, so I'm gonna go with the, the cynical version, which is he's he's sorry he got caught. You know, Shane Black's statement is I was trying to help a friend, I knew about this, but if nobody had said anything, like the last time, this wouldn't be a problem. Um, and and my whole thing is is we we do talk about we just talked about the whole concept of a second chance and and whether that's necessarily warranted. And in this case. It's just too creepy. It's the fact that it's the fact of this crime. It's the fact that he's in a scene where his goal is just to hit on a woman. And now knowing that he was in the nice guys, which had a, a child actress in it, like just the whole thing, just we, we we moved beyond. I wanted to help give this guy a second chance into you were just hoping that nobody would say anything. Like that's just the cynic in me. Yeah, and and, and it's also, it's the sense that no no obviously no one was told. Like. Yeah. That, that there wasn't any degree of transparency. There wasn't, like, Shane Black didn't go to his cast and crew and say, I'm hiring my friend, he is a registered sex offender, right? And that's something that, you know, you're so, so it's kind of like, do we want people to be able to rehabilitate themselves? Yeah, absolutely we do, and we want to believe the people who have behaved badly in the past are not going to do it again and stuff like that. At the same time, there is there's a, a certain degree of transparency that you need to have when you've got a cast, and particularly women, having to work with a man who is liter- was found- was guilty, right? He's a registered sex offender. This isn't a gray area particularly. And for him to for him to either ignore that or to conceal it or to not even think that it was a big deal is a major problem. It's a problem about workplace safety. It's really yeah. sad to think that we have to um, be checking the Megan's Law websites know, when you're hiring right? yeah, someone I, for a movie. Oh my god! I thought I was the only person that just did that normally. Like when I'm out and about in a certain <laughs> neighborhood, I'm like, so I should probably know. Um, but now we have to do that on films. Yeah, someone actually um, was asking Olivia Munn because she was the one who had brought this all up, and someone asked her, "Well, why are you still doing press for the movie then?" Because she's, you know, expressing her that she was upset about it and she's like um i'm contractually obligated to and also i worked my ass off (laughs) like 
Well, yeah. it's, it's like she's proud of this film. Yeah. They're all proud of the film, and, mm-hmm. and they want to promote it, and they want it to do well. But And that, that's the thing. Shane Black shot himself in the foot on this one. He yeah. made a choice not to disclose any of this. Mm-hmm. And and that's that's just that's just like lack of trust. Like, who would trust a director who would do that? Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah when... Oh, go on. Oh, Especially Olivia instances. Yeah. Olivia Munn's tweet was, I'm contractually obligated, and from what I'm experiencing, I think they'd prefer I not show up. It would make everyone breathe easier. Also, I worked really hard on this film, as did the rest of the cast and crew. Now that the scene is deleted, I think audiences will love it. Yeah, and, uh, of course, people being horrible at film festivals, um, somebody did oh, feel gosh. the need to um, yell out uh, about this on the press line, I guess. They premiered this at, what, t- uh, TIFF? Yeah. Yeah, um, and there was some asshole on the red carpet who was shouting, Steve says hi to Olivia Munn, um, because people are horrible. Um, and speaking of horrible stuff that happens in film festivals, uh, we didn't have this on the agenda, but I did want to bring it up, because I'm just rolling my eyes on everything. Um, so, apparently, Venice... Is a uh, disaster this year? Is a disaster. <laughs> the film festival has gone to hell. Um, it started out uh, a couple days ago with an Italian film director whose name I can't pronounce properly, and because he's a dick, I'm not going to say it at all, um, decided to walk around the red carpet at the premiere of uh, Suspiria wearing a T-shirt that said Weinstein is innocent with a big picture of Harvey Weinstein on it. Um, And apparently people were posing with him, pointing at the T-shirt, talking about how, like, hilarious it was. Um, He said that uh, Huffington Post, he sent a statement to, he said that the T-shirt was not meant to be seen as, quote, something against women, but in defense of those who have really suffered the pain of sexual violence. Bullshit. (laughs) Yeah, um, I don't think it means what you think it means, guys. That doesn't make any sense. Maybe innocent means guilty in Italian. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Find a better defense of that. Like, just be like, oh, oh, it was ironic. You know, you can just do that. There has to be a better defense. It's actually about sexual violence. Like, no, here's here's the full here's the full quote. Okay, here's the full statement. Which just prepare to like scream. Quote, this is an action against the dissimulation of this sector where lots of women accuse the accused without being brave to explain that they have obtained the role because someone with different motivations and not for the real ability put them in the right place at the right moment. If someone really wants to report the shameless and obscure world of the show business, it is the moment that actresses, models, and presenters begin to talk saying, I have this role because with a heavy heart I slept with. It is only in this way that we will break the hypocrisy and we will defeat this despicable marketplace. So he's saying he wants women to say, um, I was attacked, but I also slept with this person. What? What Fuck that that guy. Oh, my God. What this is, is he was described in one article I read as a D-list Italian filmmaker, and he's someone who's just looking for attention. Now, now people are, they know his name. They've looked at him up, and he—that's—that's that's all he wanted. It was attention. It wasn't about protecting anyone or speaking out against anyone. It's just yeah, about him. Back to back to fuck that guy. Yeah, um, that guy. And also in Venice, um, supposedly uh, there was an issue. Jennifer Kent, the uh, Australian filmmaker, was showing her uh, film *The Nightingale*, um, and during the opening credits. Uh, 
were there were uh, there was an Italian journalist who was screaming horror at her name um, and making other comments about her during the screening. Um, they supposedly uh, revoked this uh, this reporter. He was an Italian reporter's accreditation. I can't find his name. I know he came out with a statement on Facebook of trying to explain why he did what he did, and I can't for the life of me find it. Um, I think but... he's got it. Yeah, I think it's blocked so that if you're not friends with him, you can't see it of now. Course, of course. So. Um, and there was controversy because when this happened, there were a lot of male critics at the time who said, I'm not going to name who it was. Yeah. And I was like, of course not. Of course not. Exactly. We, we, you know, I know Lauren and I, Lauren posted on this on Twitter about the whole kind of circle of bros and how if you're not publicly coming out against these guys, then you're part of the problem. You're allowing it to continue. And that's just prime example. Prime example. You have a, a reporter being unprofessional at a film festival. And if you're a dude, you don't want to say who it is because that's not your place. Really? Yeah, it, it's it's really getting exhausting seeing this because you see these guys coming out saying like, oh, this is not acceptable. But you're just like, okay, did, did you say anything to him specifically, right? Did you say like, hey, dude, shut the fuck up? Um, did you, are, are you going to say who it was? Like, if you know this person, it's one thing if you're just like, I have no idea who this guy was, but I heard it happen. It's another thing if you're like, oh, I know who it is, but I'm not going to talk about it because it's not my place. Like you're saying, it's like this... No, we can't, we can't keep on having this, and we're having it so often with so many different, bad, just bad behavior from male critics. And other male critics being like, well, I disapprove of it, but I'm not going to say anything publicly about it. And that's, it, it can't keep on happening, because then someone like Jennifer Kent has to come out and be like, you know, I'm the only female director here. <laughs> And this sucks, and it's terrible, and I'm going to keep on moving on, because it's, it's, we're all exhausted, guys. Women are so fucking tired of this, and we're tired of being the only ones who say anything about it, and say anything publicly, and actually want to have a serious discussion about it. These guys should be anathema. People like Jeff Wells should not be going to TIFF. People like this dude should not be accredited at Venice. They just shouldn't. And if you're hold on, not hold on, you guys. Out, hold on, you guys. I have to take my dog out, so just keep keep talking. <laughs> if you're not gonna call them out on this, like, fuck you. Shut up. Then don't don't say anything ever. Like you you have to actually step up. Then they have the gall to come out with something like hashtag not all men. Oh yeah, yeah. It's just like oh, not all not all male critics are like this. Just like yeah, but enough of you are. <laughs> exactly. If, if we're if this doesn't apply to you then great, you're fine. We're not talking about you. But don't don't then come out and be like, well, not all of us are idiots. It's just like, well, now you have proved that you are, in fact, an idiot. So... They, they want a cookie for not being one of the idiots. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, they don't if you're not... Fight. Yeah. Yeah. If you're not doing this stuff, then what do you have to be so defensive about? We know you're not one of these guys. You don't have to tell us that you're not. We know. We know who we're talking about. We know who we're looking at. Oh, yeah. The fact that, that Jeff Wells is still on all these lists and still making the rounds just is so maddening. Like, I've, I've seen him at stuff in L.A. a bunch of times. And, you like, and I were about, what, 10 feet away from him last year. Yeah. Well, really? okay, so the very first time I was ever at an event that he was at was um, 
early last summer and I I don't even think I had heard much about him before that point. Um and so I'm at this thing. It's just this small event. There was just, you know, some press was invited and it was kind of this luncheon. And so a lot of people had started to clear out. The people that I had been talking to had left. And so I, I was just kind of still there because I was waiting to talk to someone else. And this guy comes over and sits down. And immediately there was just this creepy vibe about him. And I was like, this, this dude kind of looks like Christopher Walken. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and um, he starts talking and... I said something, I don't remember what it was, and he just completely ignores me and just starts, like, making all these weird comments. And I was just like, there's something not right about this guy. Well, like, several months later, I was at something else and he was there. And I had seen him at things along the way, but I never talked to him again. And several months later, I found out that that's who he was. And, like, I started reading up on what he had done. And I was just like, what the hell? Like, I just... I. It, some of these people you just know without even having to know the background. Like, you just know who you can trust sometimes and who you can't. So. He's definitely one of those. So, people stop being dicks at Venice because you're just ruining it for everybody. And stop well, accrediting and you know, these people. Exactly. You know, we're talking That's about it, workplace right safety. You're talking about workplace safety. So, as a female critic or a director or an actress or anybody that is going to these festivals that is being in these spaces... To have the festival organizers saying, or the, the publicists, et cetera, saying, like, it's okay to have these men that have sexually harassed women, that have that have screamed epithets at women. That's like, that is, we've talked about this. This is a big red flag. Men who shout things like whore and start calling women names are more likely to become physically violent. And so is that saying that these guys definitely are? No, but it's essentially saying, like, you are putting all female critics, all women in the presence of these men into a position of danger. We're afraid. We don't know that these guys are not going to become violent at some point or they're not going to behave badly with us. And that is that is a serious issue of workplace safety. These men should not be allowed into those spaces. You know how many times it's I've left a screening and I have to, you know, like I'm parked down below the building in a, in a parking garage that doesn't have security and I've never run into a problem, but it easily could become a problem. Yeah, the, this is this is da it's dangerous. It it's is endangering, and you and you're talking about places like Venice, which has a serious problem, obviously with sexism, given that Jennifer Kent was the only female director that was there, um, and places like TIFF that are talking about, oh, we want to diversify, we want to bring more women, more people of color in, etc. And you've still got these men who are documented as behaving like this like this isn't so, this these are rumors these are things that people have seen and uh experienced there's evidence about this and they're still getting accredited and it it has to stop if they really really want women to feel safe and more women to participate in all of this then they have to stop doing this and i'm saying this right at the beginning of fantastic fest so let's, you know, let's mention that also. Right. Well, and not only are these things that people have, have observed themselves, a lot of times these are things that these men have condemned themselves with their own words, like tweets that they've sent or emails that have come out and things like that where it's like, or just really creepy-ass reviews they've written and published. It's like, 
we don't even have to say, you know, it's not rumors. It's not something that people just are talking about. Like, these guys have condemned themselves, and it still gets them on press lists. Drives me crazy. The the continuing accreditation of these men is a justification of the, the, it's, it just, these film festivals, these outlets, these publicists, by accrediting these men are justifying and I'm space blanking out the word. They're justifying and they are making this behavior acceptable. Mm -hmm. There are millions of professional journalists who, yeah, thousands, millions, pick whatever number, who choose, who behave professional out there and who aren't perverts and weirdos and sex criminals and they can't get seen, but yet we continue to see accreditations of these guys who scream these things at press lines, who ask actors. I, I still think of the gentleman who we talk about asking, you know, a particular actress what happened to her because she's more attractive on screen. I mean, it's gross and disgusting and needs to fucking stop. Yeah, it... it this kind of behavior can't be acceptable and it can't be acceptable to these festivals. And I do think that it comes back to things like the way that we talk about it on Twitter and the men and particularly the men refusing to actually call out their bros about this, like that it, it has to be because if the, if the male critics make more noise, that it isn't just female critics making noise, but if the male critics make more noise and say like, this is not acceptable, eventually people will begin to pay attention because they will find that they are getting bad press as a result of it. Um, it, it, ha- it has to change, and if we actually care, if outlets, if film festivals, if individual critics actually care about diversifying this field, then we, we've got to stop these kinds of men. Like, there is no reason to have them there. Yeah, if guys really want us to to buy into this not all men thing, the way to do that is not to tell us it's not you, it's to be a true ally and put your foot down and say, that behavior is not acceptable and I'm not going to support this event if that guy's there. And, I, and to give them credit, I've seen a number of guys, a number of male critics that I know calling this stuff out, uh-huh. and I'm totally, I'm totally down with that. So it just needs to happen more, and it needs to be louder, and and more men have to take responsibility for this. Yes. So moving on to <laughs> other people that just disappoint me. Uh, Robin Wright. Um, she may not be Robin Wright Penn anymore, but... She's still making decisions that lead me to question whether that last name's still attached. Um, so she was on uh, the Today Show, or I think she was on, yeah, she was on something, some show. Um, it, was a, it was a new interview with Netta Porter, that's what it was, um, where she's talking about Kevin Spacey um, and whether he should be allowed to come back. And she says, quote, I don't know how to comment on that. I believe every human being has the ability to reform, has the ability to reform. In that sense, second chances, or whatever you're going to call it, absolutely, I believe in that. It's called growth. Now, this was immediately sold to, like, Access Hollywood and Extra as Robin Wright says Kevin Spacey deserves a second chance. Um, I'm not sure how I feel about any of these comments. Anybody um. else? <laughs> Neither <laughs> are we. <laughs> I mean, she goes on and on to talk about how, you know, it's a pro- it's it's a problem to have your private life be so public. And she says, quote, I believe everyone's personal life should be personal. 
Um, and she's trying to say that she's not talking about the Me Too movement. She's just talking about media. Um, it just seems like the most vague answer, but not answer I've ever read. I mean, yeah. honestly, to me, a little bit, this sounds kind of along the lines of what Shane Black was getting at, where she like she recognizes that he's accused of something bad, but she he's someone that she cares about, and so she just really hopes that everything works out and that he can be forgiven someday and come back. Like that's that's how I read this whole thing. Yeah, I I mean I read it. I guess I read it in kind of a similar way. Um, not quite as black and white as Kevin Spacey deserves a second chance. Um, I mean she is talking about reformation, which is you know that's that's one of the questions that we've had about this whole issue. It's just like can someone reform and should and having reformed, can they be accepted back into the business that they were initially driven out of because of their behavior? Um, I, I give her points for for not coming straight out and saying like, oh yeah, he totally should be forgiven. I don't know why we're making such a big deal out of this. She seems to know that there's a definite moral and ethical gray area here that um, that she's not happy with. And and I think that that's some of what we're reading in the confusion of her statement is that it's just like, well, I don't like this, but also I he, he's someone that I've worked with and that I like him, and but also he's he's behaved like this, and it's possible for someone to reform. So I, uh, yeah, it's hard to read. I wish that the news outlets hadn't reported this as Robin Wright says that Kevin Spacey deserves a second chance because it turns it into this very black and white statement that she really didn't make. Yeah, ironically though. <laughs> Some of some of the way that this comes across, and maybe this is just my own interpretation, but some of the way this comes across is because of the fact that this didn't happen to her, she's more understanding, which is funny because that's usually the other way when you've got men behaving badly with girls. In this case, it's a man behaving badly with a man, and it's a girl, def- like, sort of defending him, so. Well, and... And, I and not really defending, that- but... I, was gonna, I think that it comes back to that whole thing of, I, that you were saying about friends, right? So you, or someone, or even not even someone that you're that you're friends with, someone that you worked with and you, that you've worked closely with for a long time. And she's worked closely with Spacey for a long time. Obviously, she has probably not experienced that kind of harassment because he does not seem to harass women in that way. Um, so, so that's something that maybe she never saw, that she never experienced, and that when it all came out was something that she was, you know, horrified by or kind of like, well, this does not jive with the person that I know. And we've talked about this before of, like, being really willing to uh, be like, yeah, we, we need to get rid of, these, of this kind of behavior, and then when a friend of yours actually does it, uh, to be like, well, but... But he's not like that. I don't understand that. Which is a very human reaction and is also a very problematic reaction at the same time. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I I think that, you know, we, we we do need to place the blame on Spacey a lot more than we need to place the blame on Robert Wright uh, on Robin Wright, but um, yeah, it's it's an uncomfortable statement, definitely. Mm-hmm. So moving on to some news, because I can't talk about these people anymore. Um, <laughs> we got our first images from Captain Marvel. Yay! Woohoo! How, how do we feel about uh, photos of Brie Larson dressed in her Nine Inch Nails t-shirt? And I'm just, I'm here for it. I'm so here for it. 
Uh, bring on the 90s superhero. I love it. Same. Look really excited for it. Yeah, looks looks great. And I'm not someone that particularly enjoys these kinds of films. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not on the Marvel bandwagon by any stretch. And I, I just love Brie Larson. And Gemma Chan's in there. Uh, it should be really exciting, um, of course, but we, we can't have good things. So Jeff Snyder, who is a film critic, and I'm putting film critic in quotes, um, was posting about how he was doing a podcast um, with a woman, and he was talking about how uh, he deleted the tweet, so I have to paraphrase. Um, he was talking about how, why can't Captain Marvel just smile? And she said, well, why doesn't Captain America smile? And he posted this, like, oh, you know, she shut me down. And a lot of women critics rightfully said, you shouldn't have even opened your fucking mouth and said that to begin with. <laughs> mm -hmm. And he took to blocking all of them because he is an asshole. Uh, and, and this oh, is fuck that guy. I, yeah. I'll, I'll just use that again. <laughs> fuck that guy. It, it just goes back to the the concept that you know we we are slowly seeing these superhero movies come out but because at least the way i'm looking at this because male critics have been the ones to review these so often i think we're just going to keep getting more asinine comments like this well yeah it keeps on coming down to things like oh do i want to fuck her or not um and does does the film make me want to fuck her that's that was the other thing i mean i'm just thinking about all of the reviews that came out um about wonder woman by male critics and just like guys oh my god like you can't but it's first of all it's bad criticism it's not serious criticism in any sense and and second of all it's just really goddamn creepy um i'm just, i'm so sick of this i mean jeff snyder jeff snyder blocked me a long time ago i think because i probably called him an idiot or something like that and he didn't like that um i tend to get blocked for calling male critics idiots <laughs> uh <laughs> But yeah, this this stuff all got passed around, and it was like, and and the thing was the way that he presented that and being like, oh, that was like a mic drop. It was just like, has no has literally no woman ever said that to you before? That you say something that fucking boring and ridiculous, and they're just like, and I mean, yeah, my reaction to that is just like, well, why doesn't she smile more? Well, why don't you shut the fuck up more, Jeff? <laughs> yeah, I actually posted some pictures of. Thor not smiling and I said Thor should smile and one, one guy was like oh but he you know I can't remember exactly how he said it but basically in a nutshell it was just like oh but he's you know he's in fighting stance right now I'm like yeah because my favorite part of, of one of the Thor movies is a smile scene uh, that Hemsworth has in that movie. So he I'm has like, great uh, smiles. He's got a great smile. smile. Mm -hmm. It's not saying that women can't, that female superheroes shouldn't smile or like can't smile. It's but it's like she, she told to smile. Her fist is clenched. Obviously, that's not a you know a time. Whatever scene those are from, obviously there's something else going on. She doesn't well, have to smile. She doesn't want to. I think who posted it, but somebody said, somebody, obviously Jeff didn't watch the first season of Jessica Jones. <laughs> but this whole, yeah, Kilgrave uh, smile thing, uh, uh -huh. which I think is great. Um, but it, this also led to um, Kevin Feige, who's the head of Marvel, um, was asked about th this being, you know, their first big female-led, even though Ant-Man and the Wasp has a female superhero, this is 
being sold purely as the studio's first female-led superhero. And somebody, they asked him, they asked him why um, it took so long for them to develop this. And she said, or he says, should be a she. Um, quote, I think there are a lot of reasons, not the least of which was fighting for many years the erroneous notion that audiences did not want to see a female-led hero film because of a slew of films 15 years ago that didn't work. And my belief was always that they didn't work, not because they were female-led stories. They didn't work because they were not particularly good movies. Wow, Kevin, that is a class A analysis right there. Um, and I'm so glad that you were the only one who didn't think that, but it still took you this long to actually do something about Here's it. Here's a cookie, Kevin. Here's exactly. a cookie. Exactly, yeah, I'm not, giving, I'm not giving him a cookie for that. Oh, poor Kevin, no cookie. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in with something unrelated here. Well, Captain Marvel related, but I'm gonna jump on the objectification wagon here. <laughs> I'm looking at the IMDb and I am seeing Ben Mendelsohn and Lee Pace, both of whom I had forgotten were gonna be in it. And yes, <laughs> I can wholeheartedly say yes to that. <laughs> I can wholeheartedly say Ben Mendelsohn makes me think that this movie might not be good. Oh, I'm holding out. He deserves good. a good movie. He deserves a good movie, but he ain't made a good movie. I just watched. I just watched Ready Player One again last oh night God. because I was waiting to see if it, I missed something the first time. No, that man deserves a good movie. Oh God! Speaking He's of good, really good in <laughs> the movie. Speaking of good movies, um, the Academy kind of tried to write ship. Um, it came out, uh, we talked about it a couple weeks ago, that the Academy was going to make changes to uh, their their awards in 2020 um, by doing awards during commercial breaks, specifically for the lesser known uh, uh, categories. And they were also going to announce a popular film category that we all just kind of assumed was going to give Disney an Oscar for Black Panther. Uh, but it turns out Laura Dern saved us temporarily kind of um she has they've decided that they are going to um do further study on whether the popular film category is necessary so they are not going to be implementing it right now they did however say that between six to eight categories will be shown during commercial break which is a third of the show so two steps forward, one step to the side. I don't know how that works. <laughs> Laura Dern is my queen. Laura Dern also, I don't know. I, I think, Karen, I know you're very passionate about the whole concept of doing categories that we can't see. So what what do you think about them saying we're, they, they, that just kind of sailed under the radar? Oh, yeah, because everyone was just jumping onto the fact of, like, oh, good, they canceled the popular film category, which they should have, that's true. But, yeah, this idea that that six to eight, up to eight categories of artistic merit are not going to be shown. They don't get their place in the spotlight because ABC is so insistent that the Academy not run the show for more than three hours. That's ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. It's like, I mean, Lauren had actually said this a while back, and then I tweeted it this week, of like, 
the Super Bowl, they're not going to care how long that goes. If that goes into three times overtime, they're going to still run that shit until it's over and people are going to watch, you know? And that's the thing. Like, the Oscars, they need to just let it be what it is. If they want to, there are ways to trim it down. And they don't have to relegate these categories to commercial breaks where this is where your these categories that they're looking at. It's going to be your short films. It's going to be some of the things like sound and makeup probably and things like that that people don't have any idea about name recognition of any of those artists. And yet that's where you tend to see the most diversity among the nominees. You see women getting nominated. You see people of color getting nominated. And to put those to say, oh, those aren't important enough to be on the main show, but here's another unrelated musical number. That's really unfair to those people who've worked their entire lives for this moment. And it's also missing an opportunity for someone who's sitting at home, some teenager who's sitting at home and they hear about sound and they see these montages of all the sound work and they're like, hey, that looks really cool. I want to learn more about how to do sound design for a movie. Now you're taking that away. It's just like there's so many things about this that just really frustrate me and so many better ways that they could approach this and fix what I don't really think is a problem anyway, but if they decide it's a problem, there are better ways to handle it. Cutting all that out so Jimmy Kimmel can have an extra 10 minutes to do a, you know, parade the celebrities into a movie theater and how dare you in a moment of awkwardness shooting hot dogs. (laughs) See, moments like that are fine and they have a place and it's funny, but the thing is that a lot of people do like them, but they do get too long. That's the problem is it's too damn long. Yeah. If they needed to, they need to, if they're going to do something like that, they need to already have it set up. And already have people in place and then be like, all right, so now we're going live to this. Have it be done in two minutes over move on. They, Not these they long have done setups. That two years so. in a row where well, these bits get overly long and it's been longer it than out. the if last you're do two it, years. Plan it out and cease it being so painful. Well, it's been more than two years. I mean, this has been something that's happened, you know, frequently throughout the Oscars. And there are ways to to make that not so intrusive on the show. So you can still have that kind of fun, but without, without making it, you know, 20 minutes or whatever. Hashtag hammer hot dog gun forever. (laughs) (laughs) So we still have some ways to go with the Academy, but for now it looks like Disney's going to have to win the old fashioned way of buying up all the studios so that they have no choice, but to win all the Oscars. Um, (laughs) So some sad news that happened over the week. Uh, Burt Reynolds, unfortunately, passed away at 82. Um, I have no background with Burt Reynolds as a performer. I I know of him. Not seen any of his movies, so I'm going to give this to other people. Who Not any? Think. Nope. You must have seen Boogie Nights? Oh, Boogie Nights. Okay, that's the only one. Okay, so you've seen it. <laughs> I've seen one. Wow. Deliverance? You've never seen Deliverance? I have not seen Deliverance. <gasps> oh my gosh. That's an intense movie. It's so good. My mom, my mom is still mad I haven't seen Smokey and the Bandit. Okay, so I'm, I'm terrible. I know. You need to see the first one. Don't worry about the second one. It's crap. Same with Cannonball Run. <laughs> yeah, see, I've seen Smokey and the Bandit, Deliverance, and his Playgirl spread, and that's it. 
Okay, so I've seen that too, and I didn't want to. That ended up on Twitter, and I was like, oh my god. Cosmo, Cos no, Cosmo, not Playgirl, Cosmo, right? No, I'm was pretty sure it was Playgirl. Was it Playgirl? Mm -hmm. Okay. I think he was like one of the first big male celebrities it was. to actually do Playgirl. Yeah. That yeah. I know. Yeah, it, I'm not. I'm not a Reynolds aficionado by any stretch either, Kristen. I feel you. <laughs> See, I back in the '90s, he was on a TV show that my mom was obsessed with, and so I ended up watching Evening it too, Shade, and I really right? liked it. Yes, it was Evening Shade, and it was a really cute little comedy, like just this sitcom, and. That was, like, I already had seen a lot of stuff with him in it before that, but I really just remember that show, and um, it was just kind of this fun bonding time for me and my mom, so. But, I mean, I've seen so many of his movies. I've seen Cannonball Run and Smoking the Bandit and, um, like, all these things where he'll, he'll, he had a long time where he would just kind of pop up in casts on stuff. He wasn't necessarily, like, a main character or anything, but he'd have a lot of cameos and stuff like that. And, I don't know, he was just always his presence. Wait a second, Kristen, you've never seen The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas? No. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> With Dolly? Come I on. love that movie. <laughs> I told you, I'm not that great when it comes to the 70s, Okay. Uh, yeah, that was that um, in the 80s. It was 1982. Okay, well, you really do have to see Deliverance, though. You like, do. In, in terms of, in terms I've read, of yeah, I've read so much about it that I feel like I have seen it, mm -hmm. but I know I've never seen it. Oh, it's well, so uh, good. Deliverance is notorious in, in my group of friends from uh, from NYU because we had a we did a horror, sci-fi, and difference class. Um, and Deliverance was presented to us as a horror film, and we had a long argument with our professor about whether or not Deliverance was a horror film. Uh, and we all we were all like, Deliverance isn't a horror film, dude. It was just like, no, it is. Just like, no, it's not. Yeah, I. So, yeah, Deliverance stands out in my man in, in my mind uh, as a result of that. Yeah, I, I, I was definitely. Film 101. <laughs> I saw it one day on AMC on my TV. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually seen it again since then, but yeah. I mean, it really is a great film. It is. Like it's it's very it's disturbing. Not a horror um, though. Just because it's disturbing it does not make it a horror movie. I, 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 actually, I know I know Carol Clover uses it in Men, Women, and Chainsaws as a horror film. Interesting. Really? Yeah, and I think that that's where my professor like pulled it from. It was kind of weird because we were talking about um, <laughs> hillbilly exploitation. Uh, That's and, a great and, topic for a class. And so, like, so the the issues of like, you know, because it was about the class was about difference and was about um, so how horror can be used as kind of the return of the repressed. So you've got like horrors that are about issues of race, horrors that are issues that are about issues of gender, and you talked about the monstrous feminine and things like that. And so this was like, okay, well, there's that subgenre of horror that you is like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And the hills have eyes and stuff like that, where you've got these, you know, the underclass, right? Um, and using them as sort of this example of the of the horror the horror monster. And Deliverance was supposed to be the example of that. It doesn't really work. It's like Deliverance is one of those films that is so it's it just doesn't fit into a horror category. 
And I feel like that it's one of the, it's it's almost like a, the sort of thing that people try to claim as horror in order to make horror seem more prestigious. And it just yeah, it doesn't fit in. But I think that he he pulled it originally from Carol Clover. Hmm. Interesting. I will have to see it. I know. Add that to the long list of things Kristen probably should have seen at some point, and I haven't. You I do have to say. You all I don't think, want to know what's on that list. <laughs> I think that Reynolds' last film credit will be the the last, the last movie, movie star. star. Yeah, he did not uh, finish. Uh, he didn't film his scenes for the Tarantino movie. And if you haven't seen the last movie star, it it's not like the greatest film in the world, but it is very good, and it it does a lot with like he he gives a great performance, and it does a lot with his past as a movie star and of. It's basically Burt Reynolds playing a version of Burt Reynolds, um, and it's it's a really interesting film. It's worth I think that it's on Netflix. It's on one of the streaming services, and it's really worth seeking out. Awesome! I will do that. Thank you, because I didn't realize it was streaming already. So that's good to know. Yeah. Well, considering that Burt Reynolds did do that spread in Playgirl, I feel that's a great segue to our next topic, which is. <laughs> People saw Outlaw King at TIFF. <laughs> and they had thoughts. They had lots of thoughts. The thoughts actually haven't gone away. Um, it's just we've moved on to other movies. And, yeah, so apparently Chris Pine is totally naked in that movie. And, and the peasants rejoice. And, exactly, the the ladies of uh, TIFF, we're all talking about it. Oh, the not just the ladies. Talking, not <laughs> yeah. just the ladies. There, there were a couple people I, I was like, uh, some, some dudes, and I wish I had saved their tweets, who were like, you know, the junk's not going to save the movie, which is just so mediocre. I'm like, dude, I love how you're still committed to reviewing this movie <laughs> as a movie. Uh, good for you. Update, the junk saved the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes that that's happened. I've had a movie where I'm just like, you know, that movie wasn't great, but there was junk in it. So you know just what? Because- just because these male reviewers are so insecure in the face of the best Chris that they need, you know, get insecure about it, it's their own fault. Well, and it led to a lot of discussion about the state of male nudity and how is this, is objectifying uh, a, a male actor like this good? If you've been listening to this podcast for the last 49 some odd episodes, then you know that we do it frequently. Um, and I, I think I speak for everyone when we say it is feminist, and fuck you if you don't think that way. <laughs> yes. Lauren, Lauren, explain how this is, how it's feminist. You, ha- you are our scholar right now. <laughs> explain this uh, in, for, for all the poor, poor men who think that we're being uh, horrible, objectifying <laughs> People. We're being objectifying, the, but not horrible. Yeah, yes. I think I think the argument is that t- typically, you know, the, the comparison is always, you know, well, you complain when we talk about women's bodies like this, and it's like, well, the way that patriarchy, and, and this is just talking, so in terms of the way that women are looked at, women's bodies are looked at generally, is that it's a, it's a look of possession. So by looking, we are in some way owning the body. Um, and that changes when it's a male body and particularly if the body is being talked about in terms of women looking and women looking um, is essentially subverting that gaze. We've talked about the female gaze and, and what that means of how women can, can look and, uh, and appreciate male bodies without having that same sort of, without it just simply being equal opportunity objectification. Um, 
and and so the act of women looking is in its and enjoying it and wanting to look is in itself itself a subversive act uh, because it's taking on the patriarchal gaze and saying like no we're now going to direct it outwards we're going to direct it towards the male body um, and very often that that gaze is not about possession it's about appreciation so the issue is never even with men looking it's never really about oh do you do you enjoy looking it's more are you looking to possess the body, to make the body into something that belongs to you and not to us? And so all of this is to say that like, it's fine if we want to look at Chris Pine, we're not actually talking about possessing him in any way, and the female gaze is not about possession. Yeah, what she said. <laughs> it's about appreciation. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So yeah, we, we've actually, I, I know that I brought up doing a Patreon-centric episode where we just talk about junk in cinema, male junk, and it would be great. Um, I think it would be interesting and informative and downright educational. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so regardless, this movie, I think, is all getting watched by us like as soon as it hits Netflix or theaters or wherever. You know what? I will pay money. I, yeah, you know what? I will go and pay money and be like... I think this needs uh, to be watched on a big screen. I'm just saying, it's a big, epic movie. We <laughs> need full appreciation of well, you know, the piney Karen, goodness. Karen asked, that is delightful, Cam. <laughs> <laughs> it's like an air freshener. <laughs> I, I love that the gif, the gif of him in Wonder Woman saying, like, I am above average uh-huh. has been passed around so much in, like, the past two days. It's great. <laughs> yes, I Karen haven't seen actually, that yet. Karen actually brought up something that a lot of men seemed to immediately jump to when women were praising this. Which was, oh, I don't know why women get so happy. It's obviously stunt dick. Yeah. Okay. So, and it shut just, up. Which is and weird because they don't you... seem to care when they're stunt boobs. Well, and, and that made me think of the article that I wrote for Roger Ebert looking at female nudity and how there were 56 comments going from the medical to the insane about how, you know, women don't want to see you know, nudity, um, all the way to, you know, vaginas are internal organs, so there's not ever really female nudity on screen. And I was just like, oh my god, why are what? we... Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, you go through those comments, look at them, it's insane. Some um, of those comments actually remind me of the line in Eyes Wide Shut, which I have seen, because I saw them all. Um, but where Tom Cruise says to Nicole Kidman, women just don't think like that. And then she looks at him like he's insane. Because women do think like that, okay? It's fine. All the time. Yep. I think they'd be shocked. Yeah. But I, but I love how it immediately, like, turns into what's well, not real. Mm-hmm. And you didn't really see... I, I, I almost feel like it's a form of gaslighting, almost. You know, if, if a guy uses a stunt penis, a la Mark Wahlberg and Boogie Nights, um, you know, like, that somehow takes away something. And I'm just like, dude, I don't care. It's the, like, for me, the issue is that you are ten times more likely to see a, a naked woman in a movie as innocent as a PG-13 film. I mean, if anybody remembers Sixteen Candles. Which was rated PG, because there was no PG-13 rating right, then. right. 
you can see that. I mean, but but to see I, a great example, I can't remember the first time I saw female nudity on screen because it's just pervasive. But I can damn well tell you the first time I saw male nudity on screen because it is rare. It does not happen. I remember you know? my first cinematic penis. Exactly because <laughs> it's so rare. Like life of Brian. <laughs> Film since they were like 10 and that was like Always. the only thing that they can recall I remember oh, what a big side of life and Graham Chapman penis I remember <laughs> what a big deal it was when Robin Hood Prince of Thieves came out and oh, it was wow. going to be Kevin Costner's butt and yet he used a butt double and it was like just the fact that he was going to show his butt was a big deal well, I don't know why because it's Kevin Costner right? <laughs> but because <laughs> no, even... yeah because in that in those days you still did, you didn't even really see men's butts a lot yeah even in um call me by your name so like we've got this entire right. movie about about gay men a gay relationship and the most nudity that we get we do get some butts but the most nudity that we get is a From woman mm-hmm. yeah yeah and i included that in my article and, yeah. and james ivory james ivory still very very upset that there there was no male nudity in there and I mean, I, I've, with Call Me By Your Name, I think there's there's a call for, for one half. Like, I'm like, okay, well, Chalamet's character is supposed to be young, so we don't really need that. But God damn you, Army Hammer. And he's talked about how, like, that and Sorry to Bother You almost had full frontal. And I'm just like, you should have put the hammer down. I was like, either show <laughs> it or shut up about it, because now you're just irritating me. But my, my conspiracy theory is, is that the Lady Hammer is the one that shuts all that down. Um, but that's just I me. Mean, it is it is really interesting that guys react like male viewers react so intensely to you know discussion about male nudity. It's just like guys, we're not we're not saying that there's nothing wrong with nudity, no. right? That's that's fine. Female nudity, male nudity. We're just saying like there is a preponderance of female nudity and not a lot of male nudity. So why why do we have such a problem with that? And the reaction is always like, well, one of the reactions from particularly straight men is always like, oh well, that's gay, and it's like. So you're saying that you think that this is for you, right? You're you're interpreting this as it's always going to be me looking. So therefore, anything so sh- showing men naked is is therefore supposed to be queer automatically. It's like that's not necessarily true. There is like we're saying there is such a thing as the female gaze. Oh, that's um, sad. That's probably the reason it's taken so, you know, why it is so rare. It's the marketing, the perspectives, the views are also geared and sort of dominated towards a male perspective. That that's why we never, you know, they don't show it because it's going to turn off the male audiences because it's quote unquote gay. Yeah. And, and, and then the other reaction is exactly what you were saying, Kristen. The like, well, women don't want to see that. It's just like, well, how the fuck would you know? Are you a woman? No, because many of us are sitting here going like, hey, I want to see it. Like, I'm, that would totally be fine with me. I don't want to see it just because. But, you know, to, like, I, we've, been, we've been talking about Chris Pine's dick, and the fact that we're talking about this so much basically means, like, we're starved for it. <laughs> we want to see this. Like, I, this is not always, something that we don't want to see. I always say equal opportunity nudity. Like, that's my yeah, thing, yeah. is that... If you watch HBO, you know, and it was so funny, they were showing a True Blood marathon this weekend, and and I was rewatching that, and I forgot just how 
overwrought with female nudity. I mean, that mo- that show makes any excuse that it can to get women naked, but the men are all just like, it's like watching the first Fifty Shades, like jeans are stapled onto the men, you know, for as long <laughs> as there can be. Um, and I, I, I think it was like towards the end of the series that there was even male, male nudity included, and it's incredibly brief. And so, and I don't think HBO has really changed that much. If, if I if people remember Amelia Clark talking about how she didn't want to be nude all the time on Game of Thrones, I mean, there's still a heavy, heavy skew towards women and men expect women to be naked, but men, you know, if, if anybody's seen the documentary from a couple uh, from like over a decade ago, like this film is not yet rated. Mm-hmm. The idea that male nudity immediately gets you a higher rating and it's it's got this whole like aura around it like this mystery like well maybe if you had more male nudity it wouldn't be this mysterious thing we wouldn't have to rate it harsher and nobody would give a shit you know like i don't yeah Yeah, the thing that really gets me is just the hypocrisy you know and when it's men involved and it's men that are stripping down the guys all cry foul about it. But when it's women, if we say anything, then we just have to let it go and just relax and it's not a big deal. And that's that's the thing that just drives me just crazy about well, it. Or, or what I love is when I talk about, like, when I talked about Michael B. Jordan in Black Panther, I immediately got people that was men, men that were like, why is it when I talk about a woman's boobs, you know, I get called a sexist. But when you talk about Michael B. Jordan, you know, you're considered... Uh, feminist and it's something to be proud of and I was like dude look at the history of female objectification from fucking Adam and Eve okay and then get back to me you know the history of the gays and they're like oh I know what the gays is and I know all of this but you know no no one is telling you that you can't uh, you know appreciate female bodies or anything like that Okay, it's just that women want to be able to have that exact relationship, too, in a way. And you're immediately saying, well, if I can't have that as a man, then you definitely can't have that as a woman. And I'm like, the circle just goes goes around and around. Yeah, well, and I think that Lauren really summed that up exactly as to why... um, You know, what, what the difference really is, and it comes back to... In a way, it comes back to intent and what what it is that you're looking at as you're looking at this kind of content, as you're looking at nudity on screen. Is it about possession or is it about appreciation? And usually for women, it's about appreciation. Well, and and I think it comes back to what we're seeing now just in general in the world with, with power dynamics, you know? Like, you have to look at who's in control and what they're getting out of that experience, whether it's you know this or just the use of who who gets to use language uh, race i mean it, it's all it all goes down to power dynamics and so i think just just the simple act of talking about chris pine's penis is causing us to to look at the world in a grander way so <laughs> we are rebelling against the patriarchy we need to keep on doing this yep Amen. So I'm just saying, I always knew when I saw Princess Diaries 2 Royal Engagement back in the day that that, that Chris Pine was going to be 
be my favorite. Um, so kudos for him. Now Chris Evans should keep up with Chris Pine because he can't let Chris Pine be the best Chris. So Chris yeah. Evans should help us rebel against the patriarchy. I'm never gonna get that. <laughs> never. No. Gonna get it. I, I'm I'm waiting for the for the full Hemsworth. That's really what I'm holding. Yeah. I want to see okay. Thor's hammer. Let's see. <laughs> No, we can't have that. He can't do that because you know what's going to happen if Chris Hemsworth shows his junk? There are going to be men committing mass suicide <laughs> on the street. Women, women, their ovaries are going to explode. Mass casualties. Mass casualties. It's like, oh no, he is perfect. <laughs> Dogs and cats living together. Exactly. exactly. Do you want to bring on the apocalypse because it starts with Hemsworth's dick, okay? Speaking of, do we know what El Royale is rated? S for sexy. Hello. <laughs> Probably R. I don't think he's going to drop his no. Wait, no. No trow dropping. There should be dr- no. trow dropping. They are very that. low, that though. That would make it the perfect movie. Y'all know what's keeping those pants up, so. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. Just saying. Um, but yeah, I'm, t- I'm saying future Patreon episode all about junk. So if you want that to happen... Donate to our Patreon, and we might consider it. Uh, moving on, we'll, we'll uh, get through some trailers very, very quickly, because not a whole heck of a lot came out. Um, uh, American Horror Story Apocalypse. What do we Yawn. think about that? No. <laughs> uh, Lauren, you said Ryan Murphy can't do horror. Yeah, he can't. He's, a bad, he's, he's actually bad at horror. Explain that! <laughs> okay, um... My so I have seen. Let's see how many. Have, I I haven't seen the entirety of American Horror Story. I have seen the first season. I think I saw part of Coven, um, and then I saw unfortunately Hotel and whatever the last one was. The weird um, cult. No no no. The one before that. The one that took place in like North Carolina. Oh Roanoke. Yeah Roanoke. Um, and one of the things that has constantly struck me about Ryan Murphy's like horror output is that he relies on all of the things that people have complained about about the horror genre, so jump scares, um, like ridiculous plot twists, plot twists that don't make any sense, uh, breaking rules. So one of the things that he did, particularly in um, Hotel, was he set up rules about uh, vampires and about the way that the hotel worked and all that, and then he just completely destroyed the rules. He just decided, like, oh, I just want to not do that anymore, and so I'm just going to ignore it. And he kept on playing around with it, and after a while, you're just like, that's one of the things you can't do in horror. You can't suddenly be like, and actually, it was all a dream. Like, that doesn't work. Uh, yeah, he, he sucks at horror. Like, all of his horror shows wind up becoming overwrought. They are endless. Like, they try to overlap with some of his other shows that then don't, don't actually fit together. It doesn't make sense. He's, he's just, I mean, maybe it's just that he's a bad storyteller, but he's also spectacularly bad at producing haunting images or uh, images that, like, or building a narrative, building tension. So much of horror is about tension. And he doesn't do that. It's just like, oh, we're just going to show you everything and then, like, whiplash you around to something else and be like, oh, isn't it scary? It's like, no, it's not. It's not even as scary as a roller coaster. The problem that I have seen... Because I've watched most of the seasons of American Horror Story, and I've watched some of his other shows as well. And the problem that I see with him is that he'll start with a concept that's interesting. I'm not entirely convinced that they're his original ideas, 
but um, he'll start with a concept that's interesting, and then as he gets into it, he just he does not know how to complete a story arc. He does not know how to finish a story, and so he'll get to a certain point, and he doesn't really know what to do with it. And instead of surrounding himself with competent writers that have this kind of experience, he insists on taking of keeping control. And so then you end up with something that was going all right, and then it derails quickly. And so every season of American Horror Story... Okay, not every season. I have not watched Colt, so I don't know. But um, every other season that I have watched, it has crashed and burned in the end. And sometimes that crashing starts sooner than other times, but it happens inevitably with any one of these seasons, so... Apocalypse is going to be more of the same. I think I stopped watching after season two. The mental last season I watched. Yeah. Um, So yeah, this uh, this premieres September twelfth. Yeah, this Wednesday. Yeah. Um, So wow. Yeah. Um, So the next uh, trailer that was out this week is for At Eternity's Gate. That's the Julian Schnabel film about Van Gogh. Supposedly, it's going to get Willem Dafoe an Oscar. That's the thought um i have not seen diving bell and the butterfly so i have no background with shinable as a director um but i've heard he's really depressing so i definitely got a dour thought from the trailer i mean this definitely looks like sad and melancholy i mean it looks beautiful i'm a van gogh fan um it just looked very blah to me yeah it looks like Oscar bait. I mean, it looks, I got the exact same view. I mean, I have never been, I mean, pretty paintings, but I tend to shy away from Van Gogh stories just because so dark, so depressing. And that's exactly what I came away with. Um, my first thought is this looks like a damn fine Oscar bait role for Defoe. And then I was really surprised to see Oscar Isaacs pop up. I did not know that was coming. Um, I knew he was there. I just didn't know what he looked like. And then I was like, um, okay, I'm not feeling this. So. The mustache didn't work for me. The mustache is fine. It's the hair. What is that length, sweetie? What is that length? Um, just not feeling the Brillo pad look that he's going for. Um, but he's going to be doing art. Yay! Um, well, he likes depressing arty he movies. He loves fucking depressing movies, doesn't he? Um, and I go see them, so hopefully this will be at least more distinctive than Operation Finale. Maybe? <laughs> um, so yeah, that comes out uh, November 16th. Um, that If that shows up at AFI Fest, I take back everything that I ever no, uh, I think you mean one. if he shows up at AFI Fest. Maybe. I don't want to jinx it. Okay, Karen? <laughs> I'm already trying to make it to extend a festival run for someone I love. So, you know. <laughs> uh, so the last trailer we have is for Ama Asante's Where Hands Touch. Um, this is the Amanda Steinberg, Stenberg movie um, about a biracial teen who's trying to live in Nazi Germany who falls in love with the Hitler Youth. Okay, so um, there's been controversy with this movie, and I don't want there to be, because I've loved everything Ama Asante has made. 
Um, Belle is fantastic. Um, even a United Kingdom is really good. Uh, it, I love that she wants to tell these interracial love stories. Okay, I, I'm all for that. And taking different time periods and showing how those worked out. I do have a... And the concept of a biracial teen in Nazi Germany is a really unique story because, I again, I just saw Operation Finale and we were all talking about how not uh, Holocaust stories only focus on the Jewish experience, which is valid. It's more than understandable. But you don't see other stories about the other groups that were affected, uh, you know, LGBT, disabled, um, and biracial. And so I really like the concept of a biracial girl trying to grow up in Nazi Germany. Not only is she, you know, showing the black experience, but she's also an other in a land where there were so many people labeled other, um, all of that. When you get to Nazi love story, though, it's like, I don't want to say it feels like the whole master-slave narrative relationship that I'm not really keen on, but it it does feel like that. I can't ignore that. Like, it that bothers me. Um, what did everybody else think of the trailer and what the story is going to be about? I'm, uh... I, I mean, I, I think I'm kind of with you. I think that it's interesting to actually be telling a story that, that isn't focused on the Jewish experience, but on a very different experience than Nazi Germany. The Hitler Youth thing, uh, I can see it going several different ways. And I I don't think that there's anything wrong with actually looking at the, the fact that, that the Hitler Youth and the Nazis and everybody were human beings versus monsters. Um because they were people they and they were people that had complex inner lives and and things like that and they were people that did horrible horrific things and agreed to do horrible horrific things so i think that there's a potential for it to be really really interesting um i i also think that there's a potential for it to be like this you know sort of forbidden love narrative but within the context of nazi germany that's a little problematic more than a little problematic. The only Hitler's Youth movie that I'm really interested in is Taika Waititi's. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. Karen's weekly reminder. I, will, I want to see how long Karen can keep this up. Every time. I'm, I'm kind of with Lauren. I Now, I will say the 13-year-old hopeless romantic girl in me, you know, that really wants it to be good but man that trailer worried me I mean I see that going like Lauren just said I see it going a number of different ways um, and it all really depends on how they handle those characters um, it could be really interesting really complex but I also got a very distinct YA vibe from that trailer yeah. it felt like it'll be a hopeless moony YA type of plot line like I just said that the 13 year old in me probably would have you know gone to the theater and cried over before I you know gained an appreciation of the problematic nature of these narratives um interesting to see but I'm concerned about it well, by the time this comes out, this episode comes out, the movie will be out. It comes out September 14th. So hopefully Alma Asante uh, it go, is three for three. Um, I, I, I want her to be good because I really enjoy her movies. Go watch Belle. It's fantastic. Um, so, yeah, moving on to uh, reviews. It's been, it's been a pretty blah week, actually. So we just decided to do another round robin of what we've been watching. Um, we'll start with Karen. 
What have you been watching lately? Oh my gosh, you guys. I got to see The Favorite this week. And <laughs> so I, I mean, unfortunately it doesn't come out until November. I wish it was out sooner because I cannot wait for you guys to see this movie, especially if you're a fan of Yorgos Lanthimos, which I am. He did the lobster. He did the uh, killing of a sacred deer. He also did a movie called dog tooth. Um, and he has a very unique style of storytelling. One of the things that I really like about him is the fact that, we see a lot of directors who try to try to be really like artistic and and in an abstract way. And, um, you know, people like Aronofsky, for example. Uh, and sometimes that really works and sometimes it really doesn't. And I think he's one that makes it work really well and is very interesting. And to see him translate his unique storytelling to, (laughs) this 18th century story in England um, and a story that we haven't, I've never seen a movie about Queen Anne before. And it was, it was really interesting. It's fun. It's funny. It's, uh, it's so good, but it's not a straight up comedy. It actually has a lot more drama to it than I was expecting and um, some intrigue and stuff. And, uh, I just love everything about it. The costumes are amazing. The production design is amazing. The performances are incredible. So, yeah. I cannot wait for you guys to see The Favorite. How is Emma Stone's English accent? Good. I was was very... I was skeptical going in, and I think that she pulled it off really well. So... Yay, mm -hmm. because I'm usually the one to, like, jump on people sounding like Dickensian street urchins, so... Watch for her at Oscar time, honestly. So jealous that you got. You know what? We're married now, Karen. You're supposed to take me to these movies. Well, when are you gonna move down here? <laughs> I'm working on the team, okay? Uh Lauren, what have you been watching lately? I got to go see Searching, uh, which I think that everyone else has already seen, but I quite enjoyed it. It's uh people don't know, it's about a um, a father trying to find his missing sixteen year old daughter with the help of a police detective and it's all done through um point of view shots of from like smartphones and particularly webcams and computers and makes use of YouTube videos and viral videos and sort of Snapchat style things and Tumblr and like uh, and it's it's a really interesting film um, I think that you know I'm going to kind of echo what a lot of people have already said about this that the it, it doesn't it uses its conceit very well and doesn't make it into a gimmick movie like it, it doesn't um for the most part, it does not challenge credulity about the way that everything plays out on the screen. Um, it's kind of uh, an interesting little puzzle also because you can, watching the film, particularly on a big screen, you can notice a lot of little things uh, in the background. And there's almost this sense of like, there were, there were a couple points in the film where I was like, I want to tell you to click on that. Please click on it. Like, don't don't ignore that. That's important. I think that's important. And sometimes it was and sometimes it wasn't. Um, uh, John Cho gives a, a brilliant performance, and uh, it's he really is just the MVP in that. Deborah Messing is really good in it too, although she has a much smaller role. Um, but you know he's on screen for ninety nine percent of the time, uh, and and he's just wonderful in the way that he breaks down and sort of the the pain that he goes through and the anger and the the paranoia, um, and it's it's. It does really well with things like 
the way that we live our lives online, the way that, um, you know, you, you're a different person online than you are in real life, but, and that they're both you at some level. Uh, but there's there's a, uh, there's that sense of curating the way that people look at you and the way that you appear to others and so the the whole thing about him trying to find his daughter's friends and basically finding out that she doesn't have any friends uh, that there doesn't seem to be anyone that's really close to her even though she has you know visibly like on Facebook on Tumblr on like all of these different platforms she does have connections with people but she also doesn't in in real life. Um, that being said, there are definitely some major plot holes, particularly in the third act, that I found there, there was at least there's at least one plot point that wasn't needed. Like some of it I was willing to forgive because of the conceit of the film and they were trying to do something different. There was one plot point that I was just like, no, this doesn't make this doesn't make sense. Um, this is a way of kind of ramping up tension, and it was a false tension because it didn't fit in with the rest of the narrative. Um, but it's a really well-made film. It's a really interesting film. It's a fascinating use of the medium, and um, it actually has some interesting and important things to say over and above its, its status. It's just a very entertaining thriller. Kim, what have you been watching this week? Main thing I screened in review was The Nun. Oh, yeah, I saw The Nun, too. Um... <laughs> Yeah. I forgot. Um, oh, I this one's a this was a struggle for me. I I thought it there's an interesting premise there. There's an interesting story there. But the movie just needed they were so desperate to cook up, you know, another franchise, you know, installment there that it just needed more time, you know, I guess in prayer. It just needed more time in prayer <laughs> and quiet contemplation. I had done puns. I used that in my review. I was quite proud of it. <clears throat> Um, so I had saw Corin Hardy directed it and I had saw his last he's another I seem to be getting a lot. We seem to be getting a lot of these this year. White boy, white boy directors on their first and second credits somehow getting very large, you know, assignments. He had directed a movie called The Hallow two years ago that I saw at the Stanley Film Festival, which I found really interesting um, Irish horror movie about kind of a family in the middle of the woods and wolves and demonic creatures. And I did, at the film, I thought, did a great job in setting up. There's some real spooky imagery. There's some real creepy imagery. I mean, you don't get into those, you know, it's set in a Romanian abbey. Those, you're in the 1950s. You're in a, you know, a broken down, you know, church. It's going to be spooky, and it is. However, they... It was like they went, I have, you know, it was like they realized they had an R rating and decided they just wanted to go for the gold. And I thought they lost it when they were trying to use their rating. When they were being subtle and when they were kind of going for the unseen horror and the quiet horror, I thought they did a great job. But when they suddenly, you know, then they start throwing the lame, poorly conceived jump scares at you. And then blood and, you know, dead little spirits of dead boys, not a spoiler, spewing snakes out of their mouths. It's just, it doesn't work. It didn't, and I am, I'm a coward. 
I am typically a one, someone who will get pulled in by a jump scare, and I, I jumped at the damn trailer for The Nun probably the first nine times I saw it. And I didn't jump at one of those jump scares throughout that movie. It was, I thought, in terms of mood and in terms of environment, they did a great job setting it up. But then they strayed away from what was really good about it. Um, the characters, I thought, were pretty piss poor. Um, and I, I, I butcher her first name. Is it Taysa Farmiga? Taysa. Taysa. She was great. I thought she was the shining star of the cast. Um, I enjoyed her performance a lot. Um, the two men in it were frankly useless. Um, <laughs> in terms of, I mean, and even the the uh, French-Canadian adventurer, which I have no idea how he got to the middle of Romania, but And hey. he's not French-Canadian. He's freaking Belgian. He didn't even try to have a French-Canadian accent. <laughs> Sorry. And, and the fact that he is in the movie for one goddamn purpose, and it's not even have anything to do with the narrative. It's in literally, you fi- figure out why he's there in the last goddamn <laughs> scene of the movie. And it's just, it, they were, to me, this movie reeked of desperation of them just wanting to make another conjuring film and not quite sure how to do it. I think my final views ended up being just give us the conjuring three, which they're going to, I don't know why they're taking so long. It's just stop doing this and just give, give us the next one. I don't, you know, it's, it could have been, it could have been great, but they just couldn't bring it home. Yeah. One of my frustrations with it was, um, all the scary moments are in the trailer and you see it so many times that they're not scary anymore and then especially when you see it in context it's just like eh and then kind of what you were saying too it's not just like the idea of this creepy kid with a snake coming out of his mouth it's like the effects are are not great so it looks cheesy and weird and it really yeah, ruins the weird. it really ruins the moment I'm so glad I didn't have to go see that. <laughs> I want fog-drenched Romanian nunnery. <laughs> it should have been so good, and it was not. I want that. That just sounds like such my jam. And, you know, I went into it knowing that everyone was saying it was bad, and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to enjoy this, and I'm just going to laugh at it. And it wasn't even anything that you could really laugh at, so. Oh, my, audi- my audience was laughing hysterically at parts. Yeah. I mean, there were moments, but, like, and always unintentional. Like, it's supposed to be something that's not funny, and it really is, but... Him, him dragging the cross to the bar. Okay, that him, was funny. Like that, that was supposed, <laughs> I hope that was supposed to Okay, be yeah, funny. that was. That was that was, that was was actually a pretty not bad moment, but... I, I, I just... I was hoping for something more with Thais's character, too, though, as the nun, because she's the younger sister of the woman who plays Lorraine Warren. And I, we were discussing this, and I'm interested to hear the perspective of somebody who's a little because you're you're a little more versed in this franchise than I am. Do we think she's supposed to be? She's is she supposed to be Lorraine? No. Is she supposed to be a sister? Is there something else there? We were really trying to overcomplicate it at our. See, I was expecting it to be like her aunt or something because there's clearly a family connection because she makes that comment about how she had visions when she was younger, which is a callback to something Lorraine had said in The Conjuring. But uh, but no, they never 
they never really make it clear that there's that the two of them are related. They never suggest that the two of them are related. And then that very last shot. Yeah. The uh, not giving away any spoilers. That seemed to be trying to tie something together. Well, it definitely was. The thing is that they should have done that tie in a different way. And I think it should have yeah. centered around Tysa more. So. Well, I didn't have to see that. I saw two wildly mediocre, one downright awful movie uh, this week. Um, uh, much like Kim brought up last week, I saw Operation Finale, so I'm not going to belabor um, that. I, I will mimic a lot of what Kim said about it. It's very basic. It's very bland. It's, uh, it's a two-hour movie that I think could have easily been about 90 minutes if you had taken out every unnecessary plot point that was shoehorned into that movie from romance to other characters it just make it about Kingsley and Oscar Isaac and you would have had a good movie um so it's not terrible it's just really dull he needs to do something now okay because it's starting to make me sad okay (laughs) this is why he's seven on the list seven okay this is why this is why Ooh, he's fallen that far it's been a grim year for him. Okay, he's just getting <laughs> massacred. Okay, um, so yeah, that wasn't great. Um, and then I, at the last second, uh, literally like five o'clock in the afternoon on on Thursday, um, my editor Ramezqua messaged me. It was like, so we don't have anybody, any woman reviewing Peppermint for us. Can if we pay you to go see it, will you go see the movie and write the review? And I was like. Um, starts in two hours, I guess I'll go. How bad can it be? So, um, I love Jennifer Garner. I'm an alias stan, so I I was very excited to see, like, Jennifer Garner go back to her ass-kicking roots. But I didn't need her to be Jennifer Garner, white feminist Mexican murderer, okay? That's not really what I was going for when I thought, you know, um... Peppermint is the story of an average L.A. suburban woman whose family is viciously gunned down in front of her in a drive-by by some of the most tatted-up, machine-gun-swilling, pinata-holding cholos you have ever seen that only exist in um, a racist movie. And she decides, after acting like the hysterical woman and not reporting that she has been intimidated by the, the their attorney, um, they go free, so she decides to death-wish their ass. And it's an hour and 42 minutes of, of this movie reminding you that all Latinos are evil. They're all in the drug trade. They're all worshipping at skeleton-clad Virgin Marys like they're about ready to drink the Kool-Aid. Um, white people are good, or if they are corrupt, it's because they are promoting laws that those dirty sanctuary cities who allow Mexican criminals to thrive, um, or they're on the take. Um, and, and even then, if they are corrupt, they have a fucking line, okay? You know what? The Mexicans are just way too evil for them, okay? There's a line in the sand, and the white people don't cross that. Uh, oh, my God. Um, this movie did not make me, like, violently angry like Sicario 2 did. I don't think this is a Trump tweet um, masquerading as a film. But it is a movie that hopes that you saw Sicario 2 and you were like, yeah, we need more of those movies. But you're also a white woman that like carries you know you're like concealed carry and you want to see like a classy feminist movie about like women um this would play great on the nra channel i think um it's it's just it's as a movie it's just really 
basic and blasé about um, everything. You know, they blow up half of L.A. and there's, like, no collateral damage. Um, white people are allowed to stand with a loaded gun pointing at people, and they're not viciously gunned down. Um, I mean, it's a fantasy film almost. Um, but it's so racist. And I don't care what white male critics whose name's Rob Hunter says is lazy about calling it racist. It's racist, okay? And I'm just so sick of seeing movies that have to remind us that anybody with a Latino-sounding last name is a villain. Um, I mean, geez, I'm so surprised that I haven't been put in one of these movies as, like, an enemy of the people, but... I mean, I'm white, so I guess I can pass. Um, I don't know. It just, it's just, Peppermint is a bad movie. And biggest problem I have with the movie, my mom leaned over to me and said it at a certain point. She's like, why is it called Peppermint? And I was like, well, mom, don't you? And I'm, this isn't a spoiler. This is not a spoiler. It's not even fucking relevant, okay? There is literally a scene where the little girl, right before she is viciously gunned down by those heinous Mexicans with all the tattoos on their face that are put in a lineup, with a bunch of other Latinos who don't have any tattoos on them. Gee, I wonder how she's going to identify these guys. Um, right before that they're killed, the little girl is eating an ice cream cone, and you can tell it's peppermint ice cream. How is that relevant? Why is the movie called that? Who the fuck cares? I guess uh, racist Latino film was uh, taken. So I didn't like it. It's not good. Don't go see it. I so, want good movies to come out next week. So my thirst for John Gallagher Jr. So even I, even with that, don't go. I, I kept leaning over to my mom like, John Gallagher Jr. is too good for this goddamn movie. I, Why does he I can't believe he would about be in a, this? I can't believe he would be in a movie like that. I have such respect for him. He's. I know. I, I was hoping it was a shared universe with Hush, and he was like gonna do this and then like go stalk it and try to kill a deaf woman. I don't know. Um. Or or end up in a vat of acid. Maybe this is a continuation of Ten Cloverfield Lane. I don't know. But he's too goddamn good for this movie, and he really needed to fire his agent. Um, yes, he does. So yeah, what does everybody have on tap for this week? Hopefully something better. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you're funny. Uh, you're going. Kim's going to see Predator. Uh, Karen, what are you going to see this week? Uh, yeah, on Monday I am going to see A Simple Favor. Uh, Lauren, are you seeing anything this week? Uh, I hope to try to see A Simple Favor at the end of the week, but then the week after is starts to press screenings for New York Film Festival, which will include The Favorite. So I'm excited about Yay! that. Yay! Um, this is a really weird week. I got a three screening week, which doesn't usually happen. So I have to go. I'm taking uh, Mama Lopez to go see Predator on Monday. Uh, I go see A Simple Favor on Tuesday. And then I go see Life Itself on Thursday. And I can't tweet about it because the Life Itself Twitter follows me and they comment on things. And I'm just like, shit, I can't say anything um, if, it, if it is if it turns out that I don't like it. Um but maybe, maybe uh, Oscar Isaac will do something and it'll help him because, god damn, I need him to do something good. He's, they're, he's... they're praying that your thirst for Oscar Isaac makes you like this movie. I know. <laughs> and, right, and right now, the pretty, I'm at the point where pretty's not overcoming the movies anymore. It's just, it's just not working. Um, maybe he should take a play out of Chris Pine's playbook and do something. We just... know you're listening, Oscar. <laughs> Uh, considering I've been about three 
three feet away from his crotch. Um, I mean, I don't necessarily, I'm just talking about for the rest of you guys, not for me. Okay. I've seen him in his underpants in front of me on stage. So, I mean, I know what he's bringing to the table. Um, did it make it worth it? Just trying to think of the rest of you guys. I'm trying to help the world here. I have such a giving wife. I get myself in trouble. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> so you can follow us, uh, listen to the podcast at uh, citizendame.podbean.com. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at citizendame. Is citizendame right on Twitter? Citizendamepod. Yeah. Uh, God damn it. Citizendamepod.com. Uh, is, write uh, this down, guys. Yes, one day I will get it. Uh, and our Facebook is facebook.com slash citizen game you can also see what's going on over there if you do want to hear our rantings uh in writing uh we do some stuff over at citizendamepod.com that's our official website you can check out our citizen dame five we have not picked this week's topic as of record time um but i'm sure it'll be something awesome or disturbing or controversial, I don't know. Uh, we also have, uh, Lauren has her review up of The Little Stranger from last week, if you didn't read that. Kim does her Feminist Friday, and I am trying very hard to make myself watch more Josh Berlin movies. I have the last, of the, all of them, in, and I just haven't had the chance to do anything about it. Um, but I promise I will get one out soon. Um, and if you want to support us uh, even more and get access to exclusive content, then you should check us out at Patreon, patreon.com slash citizen dame. Starting at just a dollar, you can get access to all sorts of amazing things, including Karen and I's audio commentary on Sicario, um, our boyfriend bracket. We just recorded an episode uh, a couple days ago all about Jeff Goldblum. And it'll be up this weekend. I just had not a whole lot to say, <laughs> um, but... <laughs> Uh, and we, we do have other things. We know we have an audio commentary of Suicide Squad, we promised you, as well as an episode on uh, The Man from Uncle. And I'm still trying to get them to do a Patreon episode about junk. So if you want uh, all of that, you want to force our hand on something, um, that sounded really bad. <laughs> <laughs> force our hand on junk. <laughs> uh, Wouldn't have check. to force anything about junk. It depends on who's. <laughs> it would be um god i'm gonna get myself in trouble thank god my mother doesn't listen to this um you can check out patreon oh, crap i just remembered my dad does <laughs> i'm not a bad influence i swear um, Twitter, mine is journeys underscore film, and I, it's no, it's smutty. Just yeah, just go follow me. Uh, Karen, where are you? <laughs> I am at Karen M. Peterson. And Lauren. I am at LH Business. <laughs> and Kim. At Kpier six twenty four. It's a friendly reminder. Karen and I are actually going to be hanging out at the end of the month all week in in various places, and it's going to be awesome and if the citizen day patreon becomes used as bail money i regret that <laughs> so we'll be back next week talk to you then bye <laughs> wow. oh i i didn't see it come in
Would you say you're a typical example of your sex? I am above average. What's that? It's a, uh... oh, uh... it's a watch. <clears throat> <laughs> 